Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us a returning guest, Marty Miller who's a lifelong disciple of Christ, a loving husband, the proud father of two adult children, and a grandpa. Marty's career path has been primarily in the field of education, having served in both public and private sectors from California to Tennessee. He has held positions in all levels of education, including being an elementary school principal, being a middle school and high school teacher, a nature center director, educational consultant, university professor, and outdoor leadership program director. Marty is a well-recognized outdoor professional with skills and certifications as a wilderness first responder, swift water rescuer, and avalanche safety expert. I didn't even know there was such a thing. (laughs) And he is is gifted at discovering and sharing spiritual lessons from nature, which he considers God's second book. Now, after nearly 30 years in education, Marty has transitioned into full-time ministry by creating Blueprint for Men a nonprofit men's ministry devoted to helping men discover and live out their God-given design in a secular world. Through outdoor retreats, small group support, leadership training, and curriculum development, Marty is helping men to step up and become the men God intended them to be as husbands, better fathers, and better disciples of Christ. When Marty was on the show several months ago, I guess it was back in episode five, he talked about what he calls the blueprint for men. And it was one of our most popular downloaded shows. So make sure you guys go and check that out. That's episode five, The Blueprint for Men. But as you heard in Marty's intro, as I was reading his intro to you, he has an affinity and a passion for the outdoors. And if you go to his website, you'll see that a lot of Marty's video lessons evolve around man's connection to God and nature. So I wanted to bring Marty back on the show to discuss the connection in more detail, because I think you'll find it quite fascinating. At least I think so. So welcome back to the show, Marty. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Joe. And Marty, I got to tell you, man, um, this is out of my realm of expertise, (laughs) out of my comfort zone. And so as I was preparing questions for you, and I don't know if we'll even get to all the questions, but I'm excited because um, I'm in the seat, sitting in the seat of a student today, and I really think I'm missing out on this connection between um, nature and man and God and nature, and I think you're going to fill in the gaps for us. So um, I'm going to ask you some questions, and but we, before we get into that connection, Marty, um, obviously, I know you personally. Uh, we've developed a good friendship outside of this. And I am fascinated by all the work that you're doing in the outdoors. But let's start with something I think is pretty basic. And what, how did you develop this love um, for the outdoors? Because I have to make a confession to you. Um, 
I am. You couldn't get more anti-nature or anti-outdoorsman as I am. Uh, I even have a running joke, Marty, that um, I don't even drive around in my car with the windows down. <laughs> That's how much I don't like the outdoors. And uh, people get on me all the time. But I grew up in the, as you know, I grew up in the sure. ghettos in Miami, in the inner city ghetto. So I wasn't really exposed to a lot of the outdoors. So I want to know, how did you develop your love for the outdoors? Where did that come from? Well, you know, you, I, I think most of our loves and fears come from our early years. That kind of rhymes. But anyway, the big deal is when I was a small child, we moved uh, to Florida. This is pre-Disney era, so it was around Orlando. And uh, going from uh, Nebraska, where it was pretty cold a lot of the year, to a place that was warm, sunny, you could be outside all the time, I... Uh, just was outside. I mean, my mom, she was inside doing household type stuff and she'd send us outside. So the backyard was just uh, full of turtle snakes, lizards, all the stuff that a lot of people freak out about. But I was just fascinated by it. So we'd come back to the house with a whole zoo in our wagon. And my mom was very tolerant and she would encourage us in that exploration. So early on, I just found that there was so much fascination with that natural world out there and it, it just developed into a love that became a lifelong pursuit as a biology teacher and an outdoor professional. Now you mentioned now when you said you guys moved from Nebraska yep. to Florida and so this love became your love for outdoors actually happened when you came yeah, to Florida. But I was I was just a couple of years old. I was just a little guy. So these are super formative years. What we find with children is that the the core of who they are, what they love, what they fear, is in those first seven years of their life. And so whatever you experience during that time is going to be a big anchor to all of those things that play out down the road. Now that doesn't mean you can't develop loves for things later on. But there's something that um, is so central to who we are that comes from those early years, as you know. Now, you mentioned your, your mom, Marty. Now, as far as, um, you know, with Real Men Connect, we're always looking at that importance of the role right. of the father and the role that he plays in, the heart, in uh, life in the heart of um, young men. Um, did your dad have anything to do with your oh, yeah. love outdoors or was no, it no, strictly no, no. your mom? In fact, my my mom encouraged it, but my dad actually, he was uh, extremely busy. He was a physical education teacher, coach at a high school, and he was gone a lot. And so the weekend was the time that we would see our dad. And he very intentionally took us camping. And, and I remember they bought a pop-up trailer, you know, camper trailer. And we would go, living in Florida, there was all kinds of state parks around. And so we would go there periodically near the beach, near springs, uh, all kinds of places. And so that family connection with nature, my dad instilled as well, because that was part of his life experience growing up as well. Now, you mentioned, you know, you said more than one. So you have brothers and sisters. Yeah, siblings. I've got an older brother. Uh, he is also an educator. Um, then I've got a, two younger sisters. Uh, one is an educator. Uh, my sister closest to me in age is... Um, Believe it or not, she lives at 9,000 9, feet looking out at Pikes Peak on 40 acres. It's, you know, but we, we, lo we all love the outdoors to a certain extent. Now, Marty, and I'm hoping I'm not prying too much, and, and I'm just speaking from a practical standpoint. So you're talking about you, um, an older brother, and two younger sisters. And you said your dad was, in, uh, was a physical yep. ed teacher. 
And now I know from my background in education and you know from your background in education that teachers typically don't earn a lot. How are you guys going on all these vacations and going on these different trips on a teacher's well, budget? Because, well, <laughs> here's the beauty salary. of it. Camping is cheap. It really, Especially in Florida. Yeah, it's, it's it really cheap because... You don't need a lot, especially in Florida. You know, if you're in a cold climate, you're going to need a lot more gear. And I think today's world, we think we need more than what we really need, too. But, um, yeah, if you were to compare what it costs to go and stay at a resort or hotel, um, really camping is is very inexpensive and, and actually a lot more engaging with the family than a lot of other more resort-based you know, vacations. And so these were also just quick. They were just like uh, a few days, you know, just over the weekend. So it wasn't like there was a whole lot of, okay, this is next summer. We're going to take a vacation for a week and go on a cruise. This was like, okay, in a few weeks, we're going to go do this. And it wasn't far. Maybe we would drive, you know, an hour. Right. Now, Again, you know, we're going to get into the nature and God connection because I can't wait for that because, man, the way you illustrate it and even in some of the videos that I've seen and the way you talk about it when I'm around you, I'm just it just like, wow, I never looked at it that way before. But I want to go back to your your childhood and your relationship with your dad. Um, obviously, um, you had to, you guys had to get along pretty well to go oh, yeah. on these trips together because some kids don't want to go on trips with their parents. Um, so what was your relationship like personally with your dad? Well, again, during those early years, my fondest memories had to do with uh, going on these weekend camping trips. And I would probably say we went, um, I don't know, four times a year, something like that. Uh, so those were my closest memories of my dad because he was gone so much. Uh, my mom was more central to my early years. Now, as I got older and got into my uh, junior high and high school years, we moved up to Tennessee, and then we started backpacking, which was, to me, very fascinating because now we've gone from camping, which has a lot of gear. You know, you've got a camper trailer, you've got stuff, whatever you can pull in your car. Um, but now you, when you go backpacking, now you're stripped down to survival mode. You've got a sleeping bag, you've got a, a pad, you've got a, a lightweight tent, you've got a backpacking stove, you've just got a little bit of food. You don't have much, but the beauty of it is, again, you cut away all the clutter from life, and it's all about the experience, all about the simplicity of nature. It's going back to the primitive. And I want to share this one thing with you, Joe, because I think this is crucial. Mm -hmm. Two words primitive and sophisticated. Now, when we think of primitive, we think of a time long ago when people, you know, cavemen and stuff like that. But primitive, really, when you get down to its simplest core meaning, it means, you know, primal. It means uh, really honest. It, it is what it is. If, if a caveman, we'll use that illustration, has a rock and he's using it as a tool, well, it's a rock, okay? Um, there, there's nothing contrived about it. It is what it is. On the other side, sophisticated, when you look at the definition of sophisticated, it has to do with ultimately appearing to be something, but really underlying it, like something can be plastic, you know, 
People can be plastic. Society can be artificial. But really, at its core, sophisticated is deceptive. So when we talk, talk about a modern world in which we all are surrounded with, it is sophisticated. And sophistication inherently has layers of complexity, and within all those layers is a lot of deception. And we see today probably the most sophisticated society, well, in, in it, ever in history, and more people being tripped up in all areas of life by this sophistication. And so when we can strip away some of the sophistication and step into the outdoors and get back to the primitive it is a place where God can speak to us most clearly. So I got a little little bit of a soapbox there, but I feel like that is a big parameter of what my message is whenever I take anybody outdoors, is we're stripping away all this sophistication and we're taking it back to the original. Because when God created this earth, there were no cell phones. There there was no automobiles. Mm -hmm. And there was a beauty in that simplicity because Mankind was surrounded by the beauty of God's creation. And in fact, I want to share this one thing with you before we go on, and that is when God created the earth, there was no Bible, okay? There was no written word. And some people, have, like I have said, that the Bible, you know, is God's, you know, written word, but the book of nature, the original book, you might say, is God's picture book. So it could be said this way, that the book of nature contains the pictures of God's word, while the Bible contains the captions. And if we really... Say that, say okay. that again, Mark. Okay. I, I like that. Say it that has again. been said that the book of nature contains the pictures of God's word, while the Bible contains the captions. And since I'm on a roll here, let me just keep going with this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so ahead. the keys that unlock this book of nature, in other words, I, I've been around a lot of people that enjoy nature, enjoy creation. In fact, I remember when I was actually an outdoor um, or a nature center director down in Florida, there was this particular boardwalk and there was this big bald cypress tree along the trail there that was called Big Dan because the University of Florida, they'd done a core sample on this big cypress and it was 2,700 years old. And according to their estimates, it was alive when Daniel the prophet was alive. So it was called Big Dan. So anyway, these guys came to camp one time and they said, hey, we heard about this big tree. We want to take a look at it. I said, great, I'll take you down there. So I take them down there on the boardwalk and they... um, this one guy in particular, he stops before we even get to the tree, but we're really close within proximity. And he closes his eyes and he kind of puts his hands out and up and he says, can you feel the energy coming from that tree? And, you know, I said, yeah, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? But I understood that his more new age kind of there's energy in God and everything, that pantheistic kind of view, there's a little bit of truth in that, in that God speaks to us and his, his creative power is experienced in these things that he's created, but they are not God. They're not, God is not in them. They can teach us of God. So to unlock the book of nature, the reason I say that is without God's word, that's the first thing. If you don't have God's word, you can go down all kinds of tracks that are going to be incorrect. 
there are good lessons there, nevertheless. So the keys are God's word. Second thing is the prepared mind. And what that means is that you have a certain level of nature knowledge. Now, what I find with a lot of people, like you, Joe, you've expressed, you know, you don't have that much of a background with the outdoors or with nature. But even the most basic observations, we can see God's hand. For example, the other day I was walking my dog. And in the fall here in Tennessee, we can get a lot of uh, fog in the morning. So I'm walking my dog and it's kind of foggy. I can't see too far down the road. And I was feeling kind of down. You know how all of us have those days that we're just feeling a little bit depressed. And I just heard this voice, so to speak, in my head, God just speaking to me. And he said, look up. And when I looked up through the fog was the blue sky. And anybody can observe those kind of things. And the lesson to me was, Marty, don't get hung up on the day-to-day stuff. You can't see too far down the road right now, but look up. Now, that wasn't a real deep nature lesson, but God used the environment around me to speak to my heart at just the time I needed that, but I was seeking God, and God used that book of nature. So when I say the prepared mind, I'm open to it. I don't have to have this... I don't have to be a biologist or an astronomer, but the more I do know about those things, the deeper I can go. That's true. So anyway, that's number two, God's word, prepared mind. The next one is curiosity, awareness, observation, which I already talked about just in that last illustration. If we're curious and we're aware and we're observant and we understand that God is going to speak to us through people, through nature, through his word, he's going to use all those avenues, and we, we have an enriching life experience. And then finally, the last one, this is something that you and I were just talking about before we started this uh, episode, and that is quiet reflection. That's the fourth thing. We've got to have quiet reflection under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If we have all four of those things coming together, many times we will have insights that are so fresh that we go, wow, I've got to share that with somebody and I'm going to hang on to this because it's a truth that I experienced. I didn't just read about. So I'm, I'm done with that <laughs> discourse. Well, Marty, no, you actually, you, you allowed us to transition into some of the questions we were going to get, uh, we were going to talk about when it came to nature. But um, but no, you you actually answered the question I was going to ask you to transition because I I noticed that you you referred to um nature as God's second book, and so you answered that thoroughly by answer by giving us that. And I'm going to um, summarize what you said. You mentioned that in four things. You said God's word, the prepared mind, curiosity, and quiet reflection. Now before we we dive a little bit deeper, uh, Marty. What's, you know, give me the distinction because I guess I'm having a hard time seeing the distinction between the prepared mind and the curious mind. I know you said with curiosity is about being aware and observant, but how's that different from having a prepared mind where you're being open to um, what nature is saying and what God is trying to communicate to you through nature? Well, to, to me, it's all right. So, so here's the deal. A prepared mind has to do with your prior education. So 
for example, um, a few weeks ago, I invited some friends over to the house. We've got some acreage behind our house. They were young children, and I had butterfly nets. And so we go out into the field, and we're catching butterflies, and we're holding them in our hands, and we're we're experiencing these beautiful creatures up close and personal. And I'm able to explain things in a in a deeper way, biologically, and so on. And because of that depth of my experience and knowledge, I'm able to share that with others. I'm able to have insights that they're not going to have otherwise. And so that added knowledge, that prepared mind gives you a richness. It's kind of like if you have a box of Crayolas, you know, as a kid, and you've got eight colors. Okay, well, that's all the colors you've got. But now if we've got that big pack that's got every color imaginable, well, man, I can make a more interesting picture. So as we gain more knowledge about nature, we have more experiences. It's just like, it's like reading. Um, as an outdoor professor for, for years, I would share with the students because they love the outdoors, but they didn't know one tree from another. They didn't know the geology and things around them. And I told them, I said, you know, here you are. It's like you're in the Library of Congress and you have a first grade reading level. So the prepared mind allows you to read all the books, or at least a lot more. So that's, that's what the prepared mind is. But you can have a prepared mind and not have that fascination, and you're just dead to it. You, d you don't have the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. So one without the other is incomplete. So you basically what you're saying to it, it's like having... Um, um, prior education and building upon what you, your foundation of what you exactly. already know and what you learned and trying to show and try to get the connection between that to wider and more expansive exactly. knowledge in a sense, I guess. All right. And that's good. Now, Marty, as far as, you know, when you were talking about the, the people at your house and going around catching butterflies, dude, that sounds so foreign to me. <laughs> I'm like, catching butterflies. I don't think I ever saw a butterfly when I was growing up as a kid. You heard about them. You know, but it's, it's just, it's, oh man, it's just fascinating to me. But so let's get to more practical because now they kind of get your take on it. And and I agree with you when you, when you talk about um, nature being God's second book, I tell you the, the, the thing that's going on in my mind, the rhetorical question that I'm asking myself is how much more am I missing of God? Because I love God and I, and I seek God in his word and I read God's word. But I keep wondering, how much more am I missing from God by not being connected to nature? That You, you are stirring that up in me to think that way. And I guess we should all be thinking that because it's like it's, you're connecting two sides of your brain. I got the left side you know, with what I know and what I read and what I observe. But then you got that right side of the things that words can't articulate to you. Because I, I have traveled all over the country and I have been to the um, Rocky Mountains. I've been to the Grand Canyon. Um, I've seen, um, you know, been to, um, what is it? Uh, what's that? The forest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or San Francisco. Like uh, yeah. Yeah, in San Francisco. And I've seen, I'm fascinated by what I've seen. And I think it, it's, it, it really brought up a lot of things. I'm, like you said, I didn't know the difference between the trees and that kind of thing. But it made me question a lot of things and also bringing me back to how expansive and how massive God is when you see nature in, in, its, in its essence. But let's make it more practical. Um, 
obviously this is what you do. You love it. You have a background in it. What are some of the greatest lessons you've learned from being in tune with nature and finding God through nature? What 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 lessons have you learned from? Well, I'm going to share something that just happened this summer. I, mm-hmm. I took a group, actually a group of pastors, that we had started meeting together. These guys are all about, I don't know, early 40s. They're raising families. It's a busy time of life. There's a lot of pressure on them. And so uh, one of the guys came to me and said, you know, I, I really like, I don't want to be in charge, but I want to have a, a band of brothers, you know. As a pastor, I feel so isolated. So anyway, we had a, about four guys, and we met every week from January into the end of the school year in May. But what ended up happening, one of the guys going on sabbatical, and so we decided as a group to go fly out to Denver and to go backpacking for a week in the Rockies. So we fly out there, and the weather was really bad in the central Rockies. There was a lot of thunderstorm activity going on, and so we decided to go to Wyoming. So we go to Wyoming to an area that I've been familiar with. It's called the Wind River Range. It's on the Continental Divide. So anyway, we backpack in there to a base camp at a place called uh, Clear Lake. It's up at about 10,000 feet. So we're up there, and that's our base camp. And every day, we had intentional, you know, devotional time together, time alone with God, just surrounded by these majestic mountains. And one day, we climb this peak that is fairly easy climb, but we take our time just really embracing the whole experience and these alpine lakes back in there, just beautiful. The flowers were in their peak, you know, just incredible colors. We go to the top of this mountain and we look over the edge and it's 2,000 feet straight down. It's just incredible fellowship. And on the top of the mountain, we we prayed together and, and every day we had an anointing oil that I had brought with us these little small vials and each one of them represented a quality or a character trait that we were praying as men that God would would bestow upon us and that we were really seeking for. And later that evening I said, you know, as we were around the campfire talking after eating some supper, I said, you know, why is it that we're attracted to these mountains? Why is it we're attracted? What, what, what makes them so beautiful? And what I felt God gave to me was so central, and that is the brokenness. What happened was the earth's crust buckled, creating these majestic mountains. And after the one snowflake at a time had fallen, creating these glaciers that had carved out these valleys, the lakes formed, these meadows formed, the flowers bloomed, the, the small glaciers All that beauty, the sunsets, the sunrise, just everything is because of the brokenness. And so what what, what are two words take away from that time back in there is a broken beauty. And to me, I love that because here we are in a broken planet, we're broken people, and many times we look at that with sadness because we do see the, the pain, we do see the sadness. But ultimately... This is exactly how God creates the greatest beauty that the universe will ever know is because of the brokenness that exists here on this planet. The greatest love that God could ever bestow on this earth, on the whole universe is being poured out on you and I 
And if we fully understand that, even in our brokenness, and in fact, because of our brokenness, his beauty, his love can be seen in a way it never could. Otherwise, it'd be Kansas, you know, just flat. I mean, <laughs> right. you, know, Kansas. you know, we're talking about balance. <laughs> we're talking about things being all, hey, flat is, in my mind, that's just boring, you know? And I, I tell you, Marty, you, you, you know, I've talked to you a lot and that is what you just described is so profound. You never shared that with me before, but I, and I never even thought about it because, yeah, I'm awe inspired when I and I go to the mountains, especially when I'm in oh, yeah. Utah, when I and, you know, and you go to um, Seattle and you see Mount Rainier and these these places just fascinate me. And I never thought about the brokenness. But when you said a phrase, you said broken yep. beauty. And what God brings out of brokenness, you know what came to mind to me Absolutely. was Jesus Christ. Broken beauty. You know, he had to be broken for our iniquities, yep. for our sins. But out of that brokenness that he suffered for us became came to us the beauty of salvation and eternal life. And I, I never looked at nature as a representation of broken beauty. I, I mean, I think that's a wonderful a wonderful metaphor. And I, I, you know, it made me look at the mountains a little bit differently now when you say that, but you mentioned broken beauty. What other, um, lessons have you, you've, um, you've gained from observing nature? Cause I've heard you mention a lot of different, I never heard yeah. you mention that one, but I love that. But what other lessons have you? And I don't know where to begin hardly. There's so many, um, well, I'm going to remind you sure. of something you told me and I would love for you to explain it, um, to our listeners. When you were talking about the process of trees growing um, and what trees actually represent if we observe trees, and especially the ones that are mammoth size <laughs> and how they start. and what, Could you expound on that for us? I mean, I love when you talk about the lessons that can be found yeah. in trees <laughs> when we look well, at the trees. Well, the Bible gives quite a few illustrations that give us a picture that there's this parallel between us and trees. And, uh, you know, be like a tree planted by the waters, you know, that the drought will come and, and we're not going to be phased. And, and so when you start really looking at trees in detail, um, you can see a lot of lessons. And so I'll just share a few. Um, I think what you're talking about is something that here in Tennessee, we have, I mean, trees predominate. I mean, you got to keep them. You got to beat them right. back. I mean, they'll, they'll just take over. <laughs> and they grow fast. Well, anyway, the very thing that makes our trees grow so fast here also makes them die quickly. That's water and sunshine, well, and warmth, the warm temperatures and a lot of water. As the trees grow really fast, they end up having fungus and everything else and bugs that come along and, and start attacking them. The trees that live the longest are out typically in dry environments where conditions are very harsh. And so like the bristlecone pines in California or, uh, you know, the sequoia where, you know, there's snow and there's dr dry conditions, there's all of that. But anyway, that is an illustration to me that sometimes the very goodness that we have in America, for example, all the plenty that we have actually can be without without the difficulties and, and difficulties don't they're going to come let's face it but i think that surrounded by all the goodness of life 
that we can have in America and in the Western world, um, we can actually be dying from the very goodness. I'm not sure if that was the illustration you were wanting, but there, there's a lot of different things. One other thing, let me just uh, parallel is trees typically grow in forests. That's where if there's trees, there's a lot of trees and they compete for sunlight. And so right. what ends up happening is a tree grows straight and true. And that is the best kind of lumber. If you get a tree growing in a field, it's going to grow out in all directions that it wants to. And again, this is another parallel to the age that we're living in. I think we're in a very distracted time. Our young people and those of us that are older, we have so many things pulling on us all different directions and we're growing all different directions. And, and the wood that actually is in that tree is full of knots. It's useless to be used as lumber. And the tree in the forest that's growing straight and true, all the lower branches die off and they break off. And, and the only living part of the tree, as far as the leaves, are up at the top where they're seeking to that sunlight. And to me, what that represents is, am I singular in purpose in, in my walk towards God, in my desire to go for the light? Or am I being sidetracked by everything and full of knots and imperfections and rot and everything else? And so, to me, those are two illustrations that I could draw from trees, and there's tons more. Well, I'll tell you the one that really got to me uh, because it's so in line with what, and I say us because you're in men's ministry like I am, is how important it is to grow yes. together. And I think you had mentioned about, I forgot how you said it, but you had mentioned to me about the difference between a tree growing in the forest and a tree growing by itself and the differences in those different trees. And when you bridge that gap between how that relates to man, that just, I'm like, wow, that's a, a perfect analogy. Just basically talking about in a forest, all these trees protect one another. There's community. Yes. Whereas out in the field, you know, anything's going to happen. That tree is subject to the winds and snows and everything else. Yeah. And yes. so, as a man, we tend to be wanting to be um, strong and independent and alone, and yet we're not meant to be a tree in a field, isolated. We need to be in community, and that's where our strength is, and that's what real men con connects about. I, I, I mean, that's your main thing. And uh, for me, too, you know, if, if you're not in a small group with accountability going on and encouragement and all the things that we need as men, we're going to flounder. We're going to be weak. You know, because when you first told me that, I was thinking, Marty, that if, you know, if you were to go on a trip and say, I want to see the biggest tree in the world, the tallest tree in the world, you're not going to find it in a no, field by itself. It'll be fat. You're going to yep. find it in a forest, <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, wow, I, I never looked at it that way before. And I'm thinking, wow, we cannot grow as strong as we mm -hmm. were meant to be if we're outside of community. And I think a lot of us don't recognize that as men. We keep thinking we can do it by ourselves. But how many isolated trees have you seen grow tall no. and strong? <laughs> in an isolated field. So that's why, I, I mean, you can have so many different analogies and metaphors. Now, I'm probably going to put you on the spot, Marty, with this because I'm right down here. You mentioned the mountains, which we know came out of the earth and everything. We got the tree. How does, what what metaphors or analogies have you come up with what we can learn from nature when it comes to animal and wildlife? You mentioned about catching butterflies. I know there's a lot of different animals you can pick, but what's some of the basic stuff 
um, we could appreciate about God by observing um, wildlife and, and God's creation as far as creepy things on the earth. I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, right? here, here's one that I'll share with you because I know you love snakes, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not afraid of them, but uh, yeah, yeah, but they're not my favorite yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, creatures yeah, yeah. in the world. <laughs> You're not gonna have one for a pet. No, no, no that's not. Okay, let me let me <laughs> share, share this with you. When I was a kid, pets were, I mean, my snakes were some of my favorite pets. Strange guy, I know, but here's the deal: <laughs> we know that there's this picture of Satan and the serpent, right? And it's all through the Bible. But we also know that Jesus was raised up on the pole, raised up on the cross, you know, that brazen serpent out in the wilderness, the people had to look upon it and they would be saved. And the message there is that, you know, Jesus became sin. He took on our sin and that's why we can have eternal life. Well, anyway, it's a terrible picture, but let me just share this to we. My, my wife's niece was living with us, and she looked out the bedroom window, and here were these two copperhead snakes mating with one another, and she got a picture with her oh, iPhone, oh my okay? <laughs> and, and she showed it to us <laughs> wow. later, and I was going, oh, my goodness, that was just right outside of her house. You guys have copperheads outside of yeah, your house? Yeah, we got. See, I would never leave my house, man. <laughs> but, go ahead, but go ahead, I digress. But well, go ahead. <laughs> anyway, the reason I bring that up is our... Our understanding of God's love is so, it's like this. Those snakes were experiencing the highest level of love and snakedom that they could experience, you know? Right. They were, they were experiencing right. love. But my concept of God's love is like that snake's concept of love, my love. You know, I, I cannot understand God's love. And, and, I want to make another really interesting parable, parallel, and that's this. Jesus came to this earth to become a man, and he's, he's a human. He's a brother with us forever. He's God, but he's man. For me to really get my head around that, it would be like this. If I were to, and the, and the parallel breaks down, I understand, but hold, hold tight. If I, I've got an only son, all right? If I were to send him to a planet of snakes, and he becomes a snake, and he's killed by the snakes to save those snakes, and he has will stay a snake forever. That's pretty repulsive to me as a human being, but it gives me a perspective of what God the Father did, sending his son to this planet to become a human being. We're talking about the Almighty God being put in a human form forever, it helps me because of that that understanding that snakes, they can't understand what I'm like and, and they're so different than me, but yet there's, I, I know the metaphor breaks down, but we, we start getting a glimmer of the sacrifice. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Marty, wow. Um, wow. You know, I, I've never, I've never looked at it that way before, because you're right. He could, God could have chosen any form to send Jesus down in, but He sent him in the form yep. of man, um, who He made from His own image. But I've never looked at the standpoint of what He was sending him into, and the same thing He was sending him into was the same thing that was going to kill him. You know, I, it's wow. That's 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 crazy. Is- wow. But, you know, it does give you a perspective on how much 
God truly, truly, truly. Yeah, we can't get our head around it. Because when people, I'm telling you, Joe, this this is something that I challenge all guys on. When somebody says, Jesus came and he died for my sin, and they just kind of say it, it rolls off their tongue. And I say, okay, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? I mean, I would die for the whole planet. May this blasphemous, but I would die for the whole planet if I knew I was going to be raised in a few days. I mean, come on. There's way more there. Way more there. And we need to really meditate upon that. And I think that when we we look at certain illustrations, we can start getting our head around it. And it's going to be the mystery of the ages. We will never understand. But I think mm-hmm. that as we mm-hmm. we look at every possible avenue to understand God, we have a greater love for Him. And that's what mm-hmm. it's all about. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll never get our mind around um, how much he loves us. The only thing I, I try to connect men to, um, and as well as women, I guess, but I, I, I try to connect men to understand at least even having a, a, a glimpse or the slightest comprehension of that love is what would they be willing to do for their yep. children, um, for that baby when they see that baby being born? What would they do? And to think that that love you have for that child can't even compare nope. to the amount of love he has for us. That's when that's when I get in awe of his love, when I know how much I love my son and my daughter, and I know what I would give for them. I know what I would do for them. And I'm thinking, God's love for me just, I mean, it's like an infinity compared. If you tried to measure it, you couldn't even measure and compare my love for those children as his love for me. That what kind of takes me that overtakes me and breaks me down every time I, I try to get my no. mind around that which is unbelievable which is unbelievable now we're, we're going to shift a little bit Marty, because we're coming i can't believe the time is almost <laughs> up but um i want to shift around because before i ask you some more questions i because they don't know you as well as i do and and i know about some of the things you've been working on and some of the things you do kind of give us a highlight reel of some of the things you do in outdoors with men some of the things you have done are doing or planning to do cuz i'm just fast every time you tell me stuff i'm thinking wow i would never <laughs> thought about doing something like that but and we're not even get into all the lessons yeah, and sure, the, sure. the blessings that come out of it but talk about the diversity of things you do for men outdoors that men actually yeah. come and attend yeah. and they want to be part of <clears throat> well here's the thing joe uh I find, at least in, in my circles, that the number one thing that guys enjoy is they do enjoy being outdoors. There's a sense of freedom mm-hmm. of getting outside and getting away from the clutter, getting away the responsibilities of work, uh, home, all the kind of things that, we consu- that we're consumed by. So even though you may not have had that experience growing up because of er earlier experiences, um, a lot of people do have that, that association. So some of the things that I've done with, with men, you know, again, it goes back to my teaching years. I, I always would have some kind of an outdoor club, take kids backpacking, rock climbing, rafting, getting them outside, um, giving them opportunities they wouldn't have. And how that's translated into men's ministry is I do like father-son retreats and campouts, father-daughter retreats and campouts. And uh, also I do young men retreats 
that are also outdoor based. I've got a group that meets weekly that uh, we've been going through Wild at Heart, which has been around for a while. But that mm-hmm. that's a book that mm-hmm. really I think most men resonate with, feeling that uh, there's something about us that is a little bit wild and dangerous and being domesticated is something that makes us feel less of a man, less of a man to a certain extent. If everything's controlled and domesticated, sophisticated and all that stuff. But also uh, probably some of my favorite things to do with, with men is to get them on something that's a little bit more extended to go out for a day, you can experience something. Even a weekend, you can experience something. But when you travel to a destination that has been anticipated for a long period of time and you have formed relationships leading up to that experience, and you, like, for example, um, a couple of things that have happened recently. Um, last summer, I took, well, the summer before last, I took a group out to Mount Rainier, and it was a father-son group. Um, one father and his three boys and we climbed Mount Rainier together and then again this summer had another group those kind of experiences are incredibly powerful because they're so out of the ordinary and to me that's what I really like is we can make an experience that is out of the ordinary is something I'm going to remember it's going to be not in its own right transformational but it's going to be an anchor point for a lot of other things that are going to play out beyond that. And, and I'll, I'll use Mount Rainier as an, ex, an ex illustration, and that is when you go up on that mountain, it's glaciers, there's crevasses, there's danger. So you have to have all the gear. You have to have preparation. You have to have some basic training going in. Uh, and once you're on that glacier, you rope up. And so you've got a team. And to me, this goes back to real men connect, you know. We've got to have a band of brothers. We've got to have a team for safety because lurking under that snow are crevasses that can eat you up. And if I slip and fall, I'm not going to fall to the bottom of the mountain. I'm going to be caught by my brother. He's been trained. He's got methods that he's going to use to keep me safe, and I'm going to do the same for him. And when we talk about all these kind of things in the context of a definitive goal. I'm climbing this mountain and there's an end point and we're going to celebrate this together. I just love that. And so as it is a experiential object lesson in the outdoors, it's a powerful tool. Now it can become the, the ultimate thing rather than the learning tool. And that's the one thing that I feel like right now in my life, a lot of my life, I've, I've spent taking people on these expeditions, on these kind of treks, and they've been good in their own right. But when we start looking at it deeply as what it represents an everyday walk with God and with our fellow man, that is the bullseye on the target. Because otherwise, it's just another thing. So, I don't know. Those are some of the kind of things that I've done and, and uh, continue to seek for other avenues to engage men young and old alike and so next summer i've got a whole bunch of stuff planned and you know we just finished up a weekend last weekend that was one of my former students is in special forces and so we we had this whole weekend around spiritual warfare and special forces as a metaphor it was powerful 
anyway, so much I could talk about, but those are some pieces. Well, Marty, as we close the show out, um, I'm going to get selfish as we get to the end because I can't be the only man out there who who has dealt with this um, because the enemy wants you to believe you're the only one who struggles with it. And based on what you're telling me is that deep down inside of me, whether I want to um, admit or not, there's a repressed outdoorsman <laughs> in me that craves to be outdoors. I tell you, my wife, I'll make sure she doesn't listen to this podcast <laughs> interview. But based on what you're saying, that that God has built me to want to be one with nature, to be out there in nature. I'm just repressing it based on my childhood experience. And I agree with that because now I tell you, I'm going to get selfish, but I'm hoping that I'm that some man out there could relate to what I'm about to share with you. And then I want you to speak towards it as we close out the, the podcast. But one of the reasons I think that I struggle with being on the outdoors and I'm just making confession to you is that um, I feel inadequate. Um, I feel, you know, as men, we want to succeed at whatever we're doing. We don't like to fail. So we tend to not attempt things that we know we're going to fail at or to attempt, uh, attempt things that we feel that we're going to be seen as less than. And I think about an experience I had when my son was about maybe um, Kendall had to be about six or seven years old. And we were living in um, Tallahassee, Florida, and he wanted to go camping. Now, you know how I feel about outdoors. I tell you, I don't, I don't even put down the windows. <laughs> so, but I knew that this was a bonding experience um, for my son, and I wanted to have that memory with him. And so I went and I said, okay, um, I'm going to do this because it's not about me. I'm going to help my son with this. And so I went and I started um, getting the camping equipment and everything. Now, I forgot to tell you, we weren't going to the woods. We were going to my backyard. <laughs> okay, that's all we're going to do in my backyard. Hey, you got to start with some baby <laughs> steps, right, Marty? And so, so we're going to go in our backyard. And I said, we're going to go camping. So I get all the equipment and tools. I mean, I'm reading about it and everything else. And um, I get um, a small tent and I'm on my back porch putting the tent together to take it outside and, you know, reading directions. Marty, when I was looking for the tent, it said in the store, in the camping store that I went to that, you know, one of those easy to prepare tents, you can do it within 30 minutes like that. Marty, and I'm making this confession on air. It was about four to five hours for me to put that tent up. And um, my son came to me and he says, Dad, what's wrong? You know, are we going to go? I said, yeah, Kendall, because he saw me frustrated on that back porch trying to put this tent together. And Marty, I never felt as inadequate as a man than my failure to be able to put that tent together. And I just started getting upset and angry with myself, with my childhood, with my dad, because I was never taught um, how to do a lot of things that um, boys have done in nature, fishing, hunting, um, camping, and all these. And I started feeling so sorry for myself. And how pathetic I am as a man, as um, I can't believe, how can I call myself a real dad? I can't even get my, you know, I can't put together a tent and take my son out in the backyard and that kind of thing. Well, eventually I got the tent up and we were able to go outside and enjoy some time outdoors. And after I did it, I didn't want to do it again, <laughs> you know, um, because I felt I don't want to go through that experience. So I say all of that, Marty, because unless I'm the only man on the planet who's going through this, and deals with this because even as a grown man, adult man now, my son is an adult. I still battle with the inadequacy, the feeling of inadequacy of being an outdoors person because I'm going to look so um, futile 
you know, and so weak um, as a man of not being able to do the things that we should be able to do as men if we were living back in the pioneer days. What would you say to a man like me or other men who never had the experience of having a dad like you had to go out there and get you at one with nature that you actually appreciate it and crave to be in it? What advice would you give us at how to get over that insecurity and that inadequacy? Uh, because I know, Marty, you're not going to let me live without going on a retreat oh, with yeah. you somewhere. Oh, you're yeah. Me. <laughs> so I know you're oh, going to try yeah. to get me out there. So. So how do you so speak to that as you're speaking to me, to men who are struggling with that? And it's a serious issue because oh, it is it. a serious issue to me, man. It, it. it really is. I, you know, there, there's no magic to it. But one thing that, you know, as you were relating that story, one thing I was thinking about is, is so central to us as men. Back to the tree. I'm going to be that tree by myself and do this. And right. instead of humbly saying, I don't know what I'm doing in this area, but I know this guy that he's really good at the outdoors, I'm going to team up with him and I'm going to say, hey, look, I've never done this kind of thing before, but my son really wants to experience this. Could you, could you lead us in doing that? That, that is what all of us need to do. Like, for example, there's a lot of things that you do, Joe, that I just go, man, I don't know how to do that. And for me to go to you and say, hey, Joe, could you teach me? That takes a certain amount of humility to do that because we all have our deficits. I think what you're talking about is something that is, you know, there's certain things about being a man that we want to embrace physical hardship and difficulty. And and that's associated with being a man. And I think when you Mm -hmm. feel like you don't have that, you feel like, okay, I'm missing something. And from my own bootstraps, I'm just going to pull it out of myself is that or I'm going to deny it exists? You have to answer that question. But I, I think that ultimately, God created us to enjoy his creation. That's, that's point blank it. You cannot experience God in his fullness if we don't get outside. That's, that's just my bias, and I believe I'm accurate in that, because throughout all history, it's only recently that we have insulated ourselves so far from nature that we don't even know it exists. 80% of the population in the United States lives in urban or suburban environments. And so what ends up happening as time goes on, we are becoming more and more disconnected from nature. In fact, I don't know if you've ever, you're an educator, so you've heard of the book, Last Child in the Woods by Richard Liu. Anyway, Right. Basically, there he's talking about nature deficit disorder and how so many children, a lot of the things that kids are experiencing is because they're not experiencing the freedom of the outdoors, getting dirty and everything else. And, and this is a manhood problem, Joe, I'm telling you. With the number of children being raised without fathers, there is a higher and higher percentage of kids that are not getting the experience of the outdoors. They're basically experiencing life in two dimensions looking at a screen. They're, they're not getting dirty. They're not getting their, their knees skinned up. They're, they're not living in that world that God ordained that they would experience. And it, it is a deficit that has big ramifications physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We need the experience of the outdoors and there's so much there i've taught whole courses on this but 
we as fathers are the key players in this. And if we don't have that, we got to say, hey, I don't have that, but I know that God wants me to have this experience, and I'll seek it. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to be the greatest outdoorsman since Daniel Boone, but but right. to at least experience it and be comfortable enough with it to say, I can feel God in nature. I can I can read his lesson book a little bit more than I did. You know, Marty, thank you for that, man. That that really that ministered to my soul and my spirit. And as you're saying it, I'm thinking, duh, <laughs> right? <laughs> that you're right. Whatever you don't know, it's like we know the first lesson is to humble yourself to ask for the help you need. And now I'm thinking, now I feel really confident because I still know nothing. But guess what? I know a guy who knows more than I do. And that's you, Marty. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm glad you I'm glad you share that with us because all we don't have to have the answer. But we know that God will provide an answer that we need if we will humble ourselves and ask him. And he says that if you ask him for wisdom, that he will give it to you generously. And now that I think about it, as I, you know, I didn't think about it then, but I think about it now that, yeah, I know a lot of guys who love nature like you do, but I've never once asked him, how do you do that? Will you teach me? Can I come with you? And can I learn? Can I bring my son with me? You know, I've never asked that. And that's on me. And that's on me. But um, I'm glad you shared that. And that's a great way as we close the, the, the podcast out, because I think that's if there's a lasting lesson that I want men to take away from this, not only all the stuff you share with us about how God is in nature, but at the same time that we can grow closer to our sons Absolutely. and our children by combining our experience with nature and getting closer to God because we didn't talk about the stuff that you guys actually do and break yeah. down and learn when you're you're doing this but there's obviously a sure. lot to be learned but Marty before we close uh, we close out if they wanted to find out more about some of the things that you're doing and some of the things you're doing in outdoors with men like some of the things you mentioned today how can they get in contact with you how can well, they connect with you like like you Joe we got a website you know and you go to the website and there's different opportunities that are rolling uh, the, the fall season is kind of wrapping up and we're going into the winter. So usually not as much outdoor opportunities, but as we go into the spring and summers, when a lot of our outdoor activities, uh, gear up and I am really looking forward. I got to make a plug for this, uh, next, next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter's been going through a tough patch and she's 27. She's, she's more like the, the girly girl, you know, she's a beautiful, beautiful young mm-hmm. woman. And um, anyway, long story short, I asked her a few weeks ago, I said, you know, Julia, next summer is going to be 40 years since I first climbed Mount Rainier out near Seattle. And I'm going to be going out there with my some of my friends again. And uh, I wondered if you'd go with me. And uh, my daughter and I, we've had a little bit of a strained relationship. And she said, Dad, I would love to do that. And so wow. to me... Um, to do that is something that is going to be a real highlight of my life. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everybody's got to find a, a way to enjoy the outdoors. It could be just driving down the road with your windows up. It, you know what I mean? It, are we looking at the beauty that surrounds us? Or is my mind so caught up with all the to-do list and the things that I got to do that I, that I miss it? You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Being in tune, saying, God, I don't want to miss anything. Help me to be still. Even though I'm driving down the road 70 miles an hour, 
make my heart still. And I will know that you're God. And speak to me some way through nature, through others, just always being open. That's what it's all about. You know, and and I and I'll pray for that trip with your daughter because I, I think that is great that um, that they're never no. too old um, for us to try to connect with our children and kind of mend some of those things. And I think there's no better way to do it than yeah. through nature um, because it gets your mind off the distractions of what's going on and quote the real world and gets you quiet in your mind and in your spirit, like you said, and allow you to be still. And at the same time, connect to one another. So I'm glad you share that. And your website is blueprintformen.org, correct? Is it blueprint.org? Yep. Blueprintformen.org. And Marty, we'll make sure okay, to put nice. that in the show notes. But Marty, thank you for um, coming back on the show again. You know this won't be your last time on the show. We're going to bring you back on again. But thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. You're man. welcome. Appreciate it. Just love being spending time with you, Joe, anytime. Same here, man. Same here. And guys, that's the end of our show. But please, guys, um, join us next week as we'll bring a new guest on with some new insights. So make sure you don't miss it. And it pl- do us a huge favor. Take about 30 seconds to go over and um, write us a, a review for iTunes. That's a way to help us move up in the rankings and, and get the show um, out to more men. Guys, we're growing in the, we're rising in the charts, and it's due to you subscribing, downloading, and sharing it with your friends. So please, please, please share this episode with as many men as you possibly can so they can uh, benefit from the wisdom that you've been receiving. And please don't keep us a secret. And until next time, I'm Joe Martin with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So choose to be the man that God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, stay in his grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.